0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and today on the show, I get to talk with sport and performance psychologist, Michael Gervais. He's the host of the Finding Mastery Podcast, co-founder of Compete to Create, and he now has an Audible original out as of Thursday, Compete to Create, an approach to living and leading authentically, and it's co-written and narrated with Coach Pete Carroll. Welcome to the show, Michael.
1: Oh, pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. So for those who don't know, How did it come about that you connected with Seahawks coach Pete Carroll and started working with the team? So it was about a decade
1: ago now where a mutual friend of ours put us together for a dinner, just kind of thought we knew each other. And um, we ended up having a great conversation. We were wrestling with some of the same concepts and ideas. And, um, you know, it all uh, stems around sport, but it goes far deeper than that. It's really about the becoming you know, what are the right processes? What are the right practices? What are the right skills and tools to help people become their very best, whether it's in sport or otherwise. And so it started as a great conversation. And then at the end of the conversation, he says, you know, why don't you come up and see what I'm trying to put together here at the Seahawks. And, you know, out of respect for the, his history and respect for the conversation we just had, I came up and it was amazing.
0: So about what time in, into Pete's time at uh, Seattle was that?
1: So he had been there one year okay. at that point. And um, it was it, like, it's just fundamentally different than any other franchise that I've been part of or any other team I've been part of. And it's really built on a culture of relationships. And it's a, he did, considers it a relationship-based organization. And so, so it, it was this grand experiment, if you will, about like, what would it be like? to be able to be lockstep with a head coach that was grounded at the center of a humanistic approach to helping people become, and all while doing it in uh, you know rugged, high-pressured, high-performing environment. It's been, it's been a blast, an absolute blast.
0: I want to start with a news item then from this past week that I think fits with just how you and Pete work with the players because Jim Trotter of NFL.com, he asked eight different players about the most valuable traits of an NFL head coach. And Richard Sherman was one of the eight that he listed, and philosophy and honesty was the first trait that he listed. The quote that everyone seemed to cling to from this was Sherman saying that uh, his current coach, Kyle Shanahan, is more of a straight shooter than Pete. uh, But Pete has a way of making sure everybody feels good, making sure he pushes buttons with certain players, and not pushing buttons with others. He said, Kyle is different. He's one size fits all. And it's, it's an interesting quote to me from Richard because, you know, someone on the radio was playing it up as if Richard was taking a shot at Pete with the comment. But I've always thought that treating people differently was a more effective leadership style.
1: There is something incredibly valuable about consistency. And when you, when you really take a look at leadership, there's a couple components that take place. One is a very clear vision. They're able to have clarity of what the future could look like if we were able to really apply ourselves in the best way. The second is that they're able to energize, you know, a, a, a community towards that aim. But then how do you energize people? And are, is the leader consistent across conditions? That's a key part, the consistency. So the consistency is really about, are you the same person when it's nice and calm and maybe over a glass of tea? or a cup of tea? Are you the same person when it's, you know, the last play of a game or whatever, and you're down by, you know, two points. And, and I, I would say, listening to that quote, I would double click under this energy part of leadership and say, to galvanize people's energy, to do something that is hard and difficult and extraordinary together. The approach that I found to be incredibly valuable is to know the person, really know the person that you're working with and help to celebrate their uniqueness. And so that's very different than the other approaches, um, which, for example, one size fits all. But to really know someone means that you're treating each person equally different. And there are a set of standards, there are a set of rules of of behavior, if you will, but each person is uniquely themselves. And to create a culture that is based on those types of relationships is quite special.
0: One of the things that really jumped out at me listening to this Audible podcast is that uh, you're talking about mental well-being, physical well-being. You picked a heck of a time to publish something that focuses on these types of topics.
1: Yeah, it's a um, it's an emotionally charged environment uh, that we're in right now for lots of good reasons. And I couldn't imagine a more important and more radical investment than to really work on self-discovery and to understand who you are. What are the principles that guide you? And when I say guide you, I mean literally guide your thoughts, your words, and your actions. So a big part of our approach is a self-discovery process. And the second part is to build the mental skills that will allow you to be about it when the conditions are stressful or pressured or you're working with something that is um, difficult to work with at an emotional level, like when somebody calls out a bias, like when you feel scratchy or irritable uh, because you want to go out in, and into the environment, but you've, you're being asked or challenged to wear a mask. And so as we're finding a constriction in our social engagement, even more importantly to better understand how do you organize your inner life to be able to flourish no matter what the circumstances are. And so I think we found the sweet spot between science, incredible stories, and being able to put handles on how to go train your mind to be the man or woman that you ultimately want to become.
0: Well, there were some incredible stories that I found in it, and especially being a Seahawks fan, I, I do feel like this new project you've released needs a content warning, especially for Seahawks fans, because it talks about the end of Super Bowl forty nine. That that can be a tough topic for us. and. One of the things you quoted was Pete saying, we can't move through this until the very last person heals. And I want to know from you, how do you recognize, or how does a player recognize, how does a fan recognize if you've healed, if you still feel pain at the reminder of that moment?
1: It's a really thoughtful question. And let me just go upstream for a moment and talk about our brain, if you will. And so the brain does not have a unique network that is responsible for processing game loss. And so where does loss map into the brain? Well, it's actually uh, highly correlated with grief. Literally, the loss of a loved one is, has a similar place and a similar network uh, condition across loss of a game. And so just like the grieving process, some people, when somebody dies, depending on their, their inner psychology, Depending on the relationship, depending on how they make sense of uh, of life, they work through it relatively well. And some people, it takes much longer, depending on all all the conditions I just talked about. The same goes for winning and losing. And so some people handle wins and losses as if it's information, as if it's temporary. And some people want to hold on in a way that creates a lingering um, healing process. And so Coach Carroll's insight is like, we're in it together, we shared it together, and in a very rich way, we're not going to move through this until the collective of us works through a healing process. And it takes everybody, you know, and the challenge is that it's one of the more difficult experiences in life. And what, what I witnessed was not just grief, but complicated grief, because nobody really lost anything material. Well, you we can make an argument that maybe what we lost was um, some contracts, some future, you know, uh, earnings and incomes or whatever. There might be some argument you could have there, but certainly the thought would be: what's complicated about it is that we lost an idea, we lost uh, a thought about what we could have captured and experienced together. However, what we did experience is something that nobody expected—a very dramatic, intense experience of loss. And it's complicated. It's hard. And for those of us that are still working through it, I'd say, yeah, you know, <laughs> take a look at how you're thinking about winning and losing. And if you can feel something that is scratchy or, or agitating about it, or you find yourself getting pissed off or frustrated, and you feel that animation as if it were real, that is part of the healing process. And how we interrupt that scratchy internal frustration is through a breath one simple breath to come back to the present moment that you're in, because the present moment that you're in is actually not (laughs) the moment that you felt lost with. And so if you can calibrate those two, you end up working through the healing process a bit more.
0: You know, I do see how that can be helpful, but now I'm actually a little bit envious of the people that just process losses as information. But let's go ahead and take a quick break. Afterward, I wanna continue this conversation by talking about some of the concepts you discuss in the book, like grit, mental imagery, and optimism. A lot more to talk about, all coming up next. I'm joined today by Michael Gervais. His Audible original co-authored with Seahawks coach Pete Carroll, titled Compete to Create, came out on Thursday this week. And I really want to get into some of the concepts in this book that I can see that really relate to part of the team's success. And one of the things you talk about in it is the use of mental imagery. You, it kind of ties into that idea of visualizing success, right? And I always thought that mental imagery was that idea of visualizing you know, great achievements, succeeding in the biggest moments. But you talked about it in terms of studies of people overcoming injuries and how visualization can help even before like, physical activity starts in, in an, when they get injured and just thinking about recovering Can help with the recovery process. It was really interesting.
1: Yeah, thank you. There's some really interesting science around how imagery works, how we think it works, and um, there's incredible science that would support that uh, it enhances confidence. It might actually enhance neurological patterning, and in elite sport, patterning is very important. Having well grooved patterns of our mind, I'm sorry, of our brain, body, and muscular systems is part of what makes someone special is that the automatic processes are so well grooved that they can drop right into uh, patterns that are high performing. And so imagery has been associated with that uh, as well. So it's there's some confidence stuff, there's some motivation stuff, there's also some pattern recognition, and then there's some neurological grooving that we think takes place with imagery. And one of the things that we talk about is that it's not just seeing the end game achievement. Actually, we would suggest that that would not be the right way to do mental imagery. We break it up into an 85-15-15. Um percent. so eighty five percent of the time, see yourself performing and doing at a very high level. And in that eighty five percent of the time, you want to do slow speed, medium speed, and high speed. And if your thing is not sport and it's something in business, maybe it's presenting, whatever it might be that's important to you, be able to see it from as many directions as you can and make it as lifelike as you can. That makes it a skill. The fifteen percent of the time, we recommend seeing yourself in really difficult, compromised situations. And figuring it out, so getting a free look in the future, if you will, both from a success standpoint and then from a compromise standpoint, where it's really hard, and sorting it out before you actually have "quote unquote" live bullets is an incredible accelerant to expressing your the potential that lies within you, and that that cuts across sport, into business, into romance, into art, and uh, we found it to be really important. And you know, I just want to add one more note. Because it's really important what you said about caring and vulnerability. And so people that really care about something, whether it's watching uh, the last Super Bowl that we're in or it being part of the 12s, is that it is really hard when you care about something and it doesn't go the way that you hope. And I'll tell you what's a fantastic demonstration of vulnerability and courage being the same coin, just different sides. And when you really care about something, it means that you are you care enough to be vulnerable, to feel your way through this, even when it doesn't go your way. And that is the building blocks of courage. And I couldn't imagine a more important community than the 12s to be able to say, hey, listen, we care and we, we want to be in this amazing community of Seattle and across the planet and say, how can we do our, our life, whatever that aim might be. And so it's a very powerful community that... That you guys are creating for sure
0: yeah it's it's funny that you bring that up because it reminds me back to the time after the super bowl where i had people that i would talk to and say you know i didn't even know i was a seahawks fan until that moment because that moment hit me so hard that i i realized i couldn't be anything but a seahawks fan yeah
1: yeah i and that is that is a great testament to what it feels like to care and you know it used to be cool to look like you didn't care. But really, that's a rem- it's a safety mechanism. And when I say it used to be, I'm talking about like when you're maybe you're a kid or, you know, like 20 years ago, it was like not cool to really care. It's so different right now. Like there's a calling to say it is cool to care, like show that you care about something, be about it, stand for it. And um, I tell you, the, the community of the 12s is, is fantastic for that. There's deep care.
0: Another thing that resonated with me from the, the Audible original is the discussion about optimism. And I, I just look at a guy like Russell Wilson, who I think must test off the charts in terms of his optimism, because no matter what seems to happen, he has the belief that something good is right around the corner. And so I, I'm kind of curious, how do you know if someone is really good at being optimistic?
1: It's a great question. And we we believe from the um, a scientific approach that optimism is at the center of mental toughness. And optimism is tricky because as soon as we start mentioning the word, people that are optimistic, they're like, Oh, this is great. Oh, good. Yeah, okay, let's talk about it. But people who have a pessimistic approach or a cynical approach are like, Oh God, here we go again. Like that soft stuff, kumbaya, what are we doing? Positivity, rah-rah, rah. And I'll tell you like <laughs> It couldn't be further than from away from that. Optimism is a fundamental belief that the future is going to work out. We're not born, best we can understand at this point. And there might be some predisposition toward um, anxiety or not anxious uh, from a genetic standpoint, but best we can understand is that we need to build the skill of either optimism or we build the skill of pessimism. And there isn't kind of a middle ground, a realism. That's not you're either. <laughs> Uh, working with reality as an optimist or you're working with reality as a pessimist. And how do you know if somebody is, well, once something is not going according to plan, what is the natural default mechanism for how you think about what could happen next? And so if the natural default mechanism is, well, you know what, let's just stay in it. Cause it's going to, I'm going to figure this thing out. It's going to work itself out. I just got to stay in it and work. Mm-hmm. That's an optimistic frame. I'd be hard-pressed to find a world-leading, world-class doer or thinker that fundamentally doesn't believe that it's going to work out for them. And I say this with some compassion for people um, that are starting to get agitated by this point of the conversation because they are cynical or pessimistic. And I have compassion because if you have a pessimistic lens, it means that the person that you learn that from or the community that you learned it from, or you've developed it on your own because you've been burned because you've been hurt badly. And pessimism and cynicism is a way to hold back from caring. It's a protection mechanism. So it doesn't sting as bad if it doesn't work out. And so it is the mechanism to play it safe, to hedge your bets, to play it small, if you will. And um, I say, you know, coach and I couldn't agree more with the value of optimism. And, you know, if, if, if this is hard to hear, then I would say something like, um, you know, like uh, if you want to be mentally tough, check out optimism. And if you want to if you, if you want to enjoy life, because the science is really clear about optimism and health and wellness and and uh, flourishing, if you will. It's pretty good there, too.
0: So you discuss mental imagery. We, we've we talked about optimism. And the reason why I wanted to talk about those two things, I I've been looking for a way to explain how the Seahawks. And Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, have routinely found themselves in a deficit in the past season because, you know, so often it seems like the team in the fourth quarter, it, there they are at the end with the ball, they're coming back. And I wonder if just the pairing of optimism with the idea of mental imagery and, and being successful in those tough moments is it because that, you know, in Russell Wilson's case, you're working through that mental image of of having that comeback opportunity at the end of the game along with that pairing of optimism that it can be can comparing those two things together be kind of self-fulfilling in a way that you end up being in those positions it's
1: a, that's it. okay so you took me for a turn at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right so um i'll I'll answer that uh, with a very simple eh, i don't think so <laughs> you know right like i don't think that the the pairing anything really like if you think about a red bicycle that one day you're going to have a red bicycle. Like that's not, that's not where I would go with this. I would say that an optimistic framework allows you to stay in the difficult moments longer. So one of the reasons that we believe the Seahawks are so difficult to beat, and there's evidence that we are the hardest team to beat in the fourth quarter based on our margins is we have a fundamental belief that it's going to work out. We just got to stay in it one play at a time, one snap at a time, one thought at a time one breath at a time, stay in it, maximize, you know, and this is the concept of finishing. And so we talk about the value of finishing. And this is where coach Carroll says, you know, let's just outlast by doing right longer than, than we were able to do yesterday. And maybe even longer than they can across the, you know, um, the field. And that idea of a fundamental belief doesn't just kind of get turned on. That's not how this works. You have to practice it. Because when you are punching the stomach or you're holding your teeth in your hands and it's hard, well, if you're not trained, of course you're going to go to, this is awful. And maybe you become pissed off or maybe you say, I'm out of here. This is whack. Or you want to protect yourself and say, we can't come back from a 31-point deficit. Forget about it. That's That's average. So if you don't train your mind, the brain will win. The brain's dictum is survival. The brain is like the hardware to oversimplify this beautiful three pounds of tissue that sits in your skull that is magnificent as a, as a structure to oversimplify. It's a little bit like the hardware and the software is the mind. So if you don't train your software and really work on upgrading it to fill all the patches and the bugs from, you know, early childhood and adolescence, you got to fix those bugs that we, that we allowed in there. You don't upgrade it. Your brain is going to win. And what does that mean? It's just going to figure out how to survive. And one of the easy ways to survive is leave. Check out. Don't care. Right. And so this is why training the mind is actually a way to maximize this beautiful tissue of your brain and your body. And so, um, so you pair some stuff together, like confidence, it's a trainable skill. Optimism, a trainable skill. Imagery, a trainable skill. You become more ready to deal with difficult things that, that are going to happen. And I just want to, I know I'm, I'm kind of sharing a lot with you, but I want to share one more story is that Karch Karai, one of the great coaches and athletes of modern time, and you might not know his name because oh, I he's know in a different sport. <laughs> yeah. Beach okay, volleyball. So beach volleyball. So I've had the privilege of working with him for, with the Olympics. Um, and it, he's an amazing human. So it's an in, beach, in, uh, I'm sorry, beach volleyball, gold medals, indoor volleyball, gold medals, professional more medals than just about anybody uh, on beach and he won the, the whole thing in um as a ncaa ucla uh, athlete so he knows winning so we're going into our last olympics in rio and i was working with the indoor women's national team and he's a head coach and he says mike this is like day three as we're starting to shape our four-year arc together he says i'll tell you what nobody gets on the podium without in the olympics without staring down a double barrel shotgun Let's get our minds right to be able to handle that. I'm like, Yeah, that's what's up. That's that's <laughs> awesome. And so, but if you think about how that thought translates into life, nobody's getting through life without trauma, whether it's big T or little t. None of us are escaping our experience without without some chronic stress on a regular basis or some very acute, difficult stress. So just like in sport, let's get ahead of it. And I think there's a fundamental mistake when we look at the world-leading athletes on the Seattle Seahawks or any other sport and we herald them because of the trophy or we herald them because they're on the podium. The real opportunity is to say, how do they organize their inner life? And the way that they organize their inner life is they get ahead of in preparation and they train their mind, their body and their craft. We're just talking about our mind right now. They train their mind to be great in moments that they know are gonna be challenging. And so that's the value of training the mind and what the Seattle Seahawks have done and Coach Carroll is they've made it cool. They've made it normal. It is part of the water that we swim in and I'm grateful to be part of that ecosystem.
0: Well, another part of the water in Seattle is this idea of grit and a sustained passion and perseverance for long-term goals. In the Audible original, you talk about the staring competition or a blinking competition as a Seahawks fan. I've always wondered if this staring competition that I've heard about with the draft picks is simply a game or if it's a real test and, and through this, I think we get the answer. This is a test for measuring grit. Where did this come from?
1: You know, good science and innovation happen when you're on the frontier and it's a forcing function to figure things out. And so, um, it comes from just trying to figure out like uh, who are the best fit for the culture and the the teammates that we have at the Seahawks. Grit is really important, and I'll say I, I want to encourage people to read the book to get to the answer. To this one, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's an Audible original. It'll jump right out of um, into your ears in a beautifully intimate way, and it's one of those unique things that you stand on good science that innovations take place. And this is, I think, one that's um, pretty fun
0: okay well one of the answers we don't get is who is the most impressive athlete you've seen at doing this test
1: (laughs) yeah we don't get that i'll keep them nameless oh Um, and and it's remarkable it's remarkable you know and so but you know check out the book i I, this is my, my my really bad sales pitch to say, check out the book; you'll 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 love it. You know this part of the story.
0: So you could tell me, I'll bleep it out, and then when people confirm to me that they purchased the book, <laughs> then I can tell them. How, how about we work it out that way? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome, Michael. Really want to thank you for coming on and talking about this Audible original coming up. If people want to check it out. Where do they go to find it?
1: Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, incredibly uh, honored to be part of this uh, body of work here, and so there's the easiest place is audible.com forward slash compete to create. And it's actually um, a companion to the, an eight-week online course that Coach Carol and I built. And the eight-week online course is available for, for everybody. And I think it's some of our best, I'll speak for myself, my best work of being able to put in a very structured way and allowing it a community of people to go through at the same time, an eight-week online course to train your mind. Just like we do world class athletes, to become and find your very best. And it's the name of the course, Find Your Best. And it's the psychology of becoming. And so our our joint company here is called Compete to Create, and it's compete to create.net.
0: Definitely be sure and check that out. And if you haven't already, be sure and download and subscribe to the Finding Mastery podcast. I've been listening to that for a while. He's Michael Gervais. Thanks once again for coming on.
1: You're a legend. Appreciate you. Thank you.
0: A big thanks once again to Dr. Gervais. Be sure and check out his book, Compete to Create, an Approach to Living and Leading Authentically. It's an Audible original. And while you're looking for other things to check out online, hop on over to fieldgoals.com. Mookie Alexander has a post up talking about the latest report that the Seahawks inquired about safety Jamal Adams availability. Also news from Tyler Alson about the Seahawks providing season ticket holders an opt-out for this year. And news coming up for this season that NFL players are going to be forbidden from jersey swaps this upcoming year. That's all up at FieldGoals.com. If you're looking for more to listen to, you can check out the latest episode of the Seahawkers podcast. I am chatting with Adam this week. We are breaking down the Los Angeles Rams as we do our Know Your Rival series. Check that out, SeahawkersPodcast.com. And if you haven't already subscribed to this show, you can do it at SBNation.com slash podcasts. I'll be back next week talking more Seahawks football, so until then, go Hawks.